to revisit the first message that I spoke to you as your lead pastor. And I want to talk to you about your dream. What is that, what is it that you wanted to be when you grew up? What was the, what was the dream that was inside of you? What was that idea that was, that was birthed in your early 20s? What's that, what's that ministry that God has spoken to you about over and over and over again? Here's what God's Word tells us in Ephesians chapter 3. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine. That's the part that I like. It, it's not just what I can ask. It's what I can even imagine. According to him who is already at work in you. Let me give that to you again because I want it to sink into your mind. I want it to sink into your spirit this morning. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly more than we can ask or imagine according to that which is already at work in you. To him be glory and honor and praise. He's able to do exceedingly beyond what our mind can conceive. And if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us, it energizes us to be people of profound purpose, to be people of impacting existence, to be people of lasting destiny. So let me ask you the question this morning. How's your dream? How's your dream? God, I pray this morning as we spend a few moments considering your word together, I pray, God, that you would use this time to speak to us, to speak through us, to bring life, to bring purpose, to bring encouragement, to bring conviction, God. Use this moment to reposition us for your glory. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Henry David Thoreau has this famous quote. And he says this, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. It's often misquoted. Oftentimes it's misquoted that all men lead lives of quiet desperation. That's not necessarily true. In fact, if, if you look at the totality of Thoreau's quote, he ends this statement by saying this, that the characteristic of wisdom is to not do desperate things. But, but how does this happen? How do we get to this place where most or the mass of men, the mass of people lead lives of quiet desperation? It, it happens because as we walk down the pathway of life, as we're engaged in this journey, that issues, ideas, and individuals creep in and cause our dream to get sidetracked. That's not God's desire for you. It's not his heart for you. And this is the reason why God brought you here this morning. It's the reason why God has you connecting via live stream today. Because he wants to speak to you about the dream that he placed in your heart, the dream that he put in your spirit, the dream that has been on your mind that you've allowed to be pushed into the background. 
that, that's gotten sidelined. By the way, you're not the first person to experience this. In fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and I want you to open them to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. It's in, it's in the early portion of the Bible. Okay, you'll find you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then you get Joshua and the Judges. Judges chapter 6. And in Judges chapter 6, we're introduced to this individual named Gideon. And Gideon is a great example of this issue of a, of a sidetracked dream. Gideon is not at all where you would expect him to be knowing the story of his people, knowing the journey that they have come through, knowing that God had just a few generations prior taken Gideon's people from the wilderness into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. How do we get from Joshua and the children of Israel seeing this great victory at Jericho, stepping into a land flowing with milk and honey, to, to Judges chapter 6, where we find this, that Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press out of fear of the Midianites. It happens when we allow our destiny to be hijacked, when we allow our dream to be sidelined. You know, I very early on in my ministry journey here, I shared with you the story of a man by the name of R.U. Darby. Anybody remember that? The story of R.U. Darby? Jim does, a couple of you do. R.U. Darby. R.U. Darby was from Massachusetts. And his uncle had in his heart to go and be a part of the great Colorado gold rush. And R.U. wanted to go with him, but his uncle told him that he was too young to go. So uncle set out on his own, went to Colorado, bought a, bought a stake in a mine and began to mine. And sure enough, he hit what appeared to be a pretty large vein of gold. He was, he was mining out the gold, but he was using pretty primitive tools and he realized that he needed greater equipment and he needed help. And so he made the trip back to Massachusetts asked his family to invest in this mining expedition. And when R.U. asked to go again, he said, come on, R.U., you can go with me. So R.U. Darby made the trip out to Colorado with his uncle. They bought the best mining equipment they could buy and they began to dig. And, and initially they were, they were pulling in gold, but very quickly this vein of gold disappeared. And they continued to dig knowing that sure enough, it was gonna reappear and continued to dig, knowing sure enough, it was gonna reappear and continued to dig, knowing sure enough, it would reappear. In the midst of this, R.U.'s uncle gets sick and passes away. R.U. determined to honor his uncle's legacy, he continues to dig. But as he's digging, he's spending more and more of the investment that his family has made and he's feeling more and more that he is operating in a path of futility. And so, filled with anxiety over the prospect of spending all of his family's money with no return, he accepts the fact that, it, that the dream is just not going to come to fruition. And here's what he did. He sold 
all of the mining equipment that he and his uncle had purchased and he sold it for scrap metal price. Threw in the stake to the claim and left defeated and went back to Massachusetts. By the way, it's a true story. The scrap dealer that bought the equipment and was given what appeared to be a worthless stake, a claim on a mine, thought, I have nothing to lose and started to dig. And he dug for three feet, three feet, and hit the largest vein of gold in Colorado Gold Rush history. R.U. Darby stopped three feet short. You know, I, I regularly, I regularly have conversations with individuals who are living their lives three feet short. I see it in businessmen and businesswomen that live their lives three feet short. I see it in those that are called to a significant ministry and they operate three feet short. Friends, God has brought me here this morning to challenge you to not live your life three feet short. He spoke to you seasons ago. He spoke to you what seems to be a lifetime ago, and he placed a dream in your heart. He placed a calling upon your life. He spoke destiny over you. And yet, if we were to be honest, the statement of Thoreau rings true in your life in that the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Can you, can you see that in Gideon as he's threshing wheat in a wine press out of fear of the Midianites? Desperation. The dream is gone. Now it's just eking out a survival. It's, it's just trying to carve out an existence. Friend, God has not called you to survival. He's not just called you to success. What God has called you to is God has called you to significance because you are called to be the salt of the earth. You're called to be the light of the world. God wants your life to shine in such a way. We're supposed to live our lives in such a way that the people around us, that they see our lives and they go, I don't know what she's got, but I want that. I don't know what he's got, but I want that. I don't know what they've got, but I want that in my life. You see, that's what God has called you to. He's called you to a life of significance and he's brought us here today to challenge us that it's time for us to re-embrace our sidetracked dream. In Judges chapter 6, we see Gideon. He is there. He's threshing wheat in this wine press. And the angel of the Lord speaks to him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And he goes, seriously? Seriously? Let me ask you a question. What would your response be today if the voice of the Lord spoke to you and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior? Really, God, if you're with me, can we talk about what I'm going through, right? Can we talk about the fact that I'm facing furlough because of COVID? Can we, can we talk about the fact that I've been passed over for promotion five different times? Can we talk about the fact that my family won't talk to me and it's not my fault. Can we talk about the fact that my husband left me 
because he wasn't real happy with the aging process. So God, if you're with me, I'm not seeing it. Friends, that's, hear the cry of Gideon. Recognize the, the angst in his response. Gideon is there, he's threshing wheat in a wine press. How, how, does, he, how does he end up there? Well, three things. There are three, three major contributors to a sidetracked dream. And the first is this, it's poor choices. Notice this in Judges 6.1, here's what it says. It says that the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So what has happened? Here's what has happened. God has brought the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and then they come into the promised land. Now, as they come into the promised land, there are some peaks and there are some valleys, but God brings them in and they see victory upon victory upon victory upon victory. But as, 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 the, as the sun sets on, on Joshua's time as the leader over Israel, they, we then step into this, this period that's known as the period of Judges. And Israel will, they'll make things right between them and God. And then they'll, then they'll venture into unhealthy, unholy ground, compromise, sin. And just before the story of Gideon, following the leadership of the prophetess Deborah, Deborah leads Israel in the defeat of the Canaanites and the reestablishment uh, and the connection with, with Jehovah as their one true God. And yet, knowing their history, knowing what has happened when they did not serve God and when they did serve God, understanding the repercussions of living underneath God's blessing and living outside of that cloud, they still choose to go their own way. And once again, Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord. And as a result, God says, all right, you wanna do it your way, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take my blessing off of you. I'm gonna take my hand of provision off of you. I'm gonna take my hand of protection off of you. And a group that should be much lesser than Midianites are able to wreak havoc upon the children of Israel because of poor choices. It, it, it's not just poor choices that get us there. And, and some of us are here this morning and we recognize, we go, you know what? If I had it to do all over again, if I had it to do all over again, I wouldn't step into that bar. If I had it to do all over again, I wouldn't engage in that conversation. If I had it to do all over again, I wouldn't make that choice. Listen, I'm not here this morning. I'm not here this morning to put you on blast. I'm not here this morning to make you feel bad. But if we're gonna, if we're gonna talk about the cure, we, we, we have to also talk about the cause. We have to honestly acknowledge our poor choices. We have to honestly acknowledge our poor thinking. Right? Gideon is convinced that there is no hope for him. Listen to his response there in Judges chapter 6. Even when the angel of the Lord appears before him. What does he say there in Judges 6.14? He said, listen, 
I am the weakest of the weakest of the weak. You might say that there's a destiny for me. I don't see it. And for some of us, what we do is this. We tune in every Sunday morning. We come here every Sunday morning and we're encouraged by the worship. And we find comfort being in God's presence. But anytime we hear of blessing, anytime we hear of destiny, somehow we allow ourselves to believe that that blessing is for everybody else. Somehow we believe that the choices that we made have totally disqualified us from ever stepping in to God's promise and living out the destiny that he's called us to. Friend, God brought you here today to tell you that that is the farthest thing from the truth. That God is not too small to redeem you. And his steadfast love comes without compromise and without condition. And his mercies are new every morning. Listen, when you, when you doubt God's ability to redeem you from your poor choices, what you're doing is you're not magnifying the difficulties in your life, you're minimizing the omnipotence of God. So make no mistake, sir, make no mistake, ma'am, God is more than bigger enough to rescue you from the poorest decision. God is more than strong enough to lift you out of the greatest pit. God is more than big enough to wrap his arms around whatever difficulty, whatever challenge, whatever issue, whatever mistake you have made in your life. In the moment, Gideon doesn't see that. And the reason Gideon doesn't see that is because his poor, th poor thinking, it's buttressed by poor choices on one side and poor relationships on the other. You probably can relate to that. I got poor choices on one side, I got poor relationships on the other that mess with my mind on a daily basis. How do we know? <laughs> that Gideon had poor relationships, recognize this, in the household in which Gideon lives, you know what's sitting right outside? Gideon recognizes that he is from one of the 12 tribes of Israel. He knows his heritage. He knows that there is one God and his name is Jehovah. And yet, and yet outside of his house, look at this in the 28th verse of Judges chapter six, outside of his house, there is an altar, a shrine to the Canaanite God Baal and the Canaanite goddess Asherah. Why? Here, here's, here's, what, here's what that God is about. Now understand in this time period, most of the people, they, they find, their, they find their sustenance through agriculture. In the time of Gideon, there is no Walmart neighborhood market to go and buy your food, right? So what you have to do is you have to grow your food. Now, we know that Gideon was engaged in agriculture. How do we know that? 
What was he doing when we're introduced to Gideon? He's threshing wheat. What does that tell us about Gideon? Manny, what does that tell us about Gideon? Gideon must farm wheat, right? See how quick we are? And, and here's, here's what, here's what, I feel like I'm so far away from you guys. I mean, there's, there's, I understand social distancing, but this is an extreme. So they're, they raise crops and they know that they need to trust God for the rain. In fact, if you've been to Israel and some of you have been uh, to Israel with us and uh, man, some of the highlights of my time here are the times that we spent in the Holy Land with some of you and, uh, and our hope is to be able to do that again post-COVID. But, but Israel, it is, a, it is an arid climate. And in Israel, you are totally dependent upon the rain to be able to produce a crop. You're totally dependent. And God, God gave them this promise when they stepped into the promised land that he would bring the rain. And, and they had confidence that God would bring the rain. But if somehow God forgot, right, got busy, they need to have a backup plan. So Gideon and his family, they're not, they're not overtly worshiping Baal and, and overtly worshiping Asherah. But in case God doesn't show up, how about this? How about we have a little shrine? How about we have a little altar for Baal and, and, and Asherah as well? And the reason that they have this other false God in their life, Baal and Asherah, they're Canaanite gods. What? They're Canaanite gods? That makes no sense. Because under Deborah, the predecessor to Gideon, under Deborah, the children of Israel defeated the Canaanites. How is it that these defeated people have such an influence over the people of Israel that they'll have altars to their gods outside their house, Pastor Ellie? I don't understand that. You know, it's, it's so easy, it's so easy to, to allow our life to be influenced by poor choices and poor relationships that will get into our head and get us to a point of poor thinking. And even though God sees us and God knows us for who we really are, wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree that God knows for you for who you really are? And so when God speaks over Gideon that he's a mighty warrior, God sees him for who he really is. But Gideon can't see that. Because when you, when you allow your life to go down this road of poor choices and poor relationships that fuel that poor thinking in the middle, you're going to find yourself dealing with futility, threshing wheat in a wine press out of fear of the Midianites, and bitterness. Oh, man, we could, we could spend, we're not going to because there's food trucks outside, but we could spend a lot of time talking about bitterness. Bitterness. Listen to what, listen to what Gideon says there in Judges chapter 6. Okay, God, you claim to be with us, but if you're with us, God, then why has all this happened to us? God, I don't see your hand in any of this. 
Listen to how he's talking to God. Even if at this point he doesn't recognize it as actually being God, he at least has to recognize that it's the angel of the Lord. Yeah, God, you might say you're with us, God, but I beg to differ. You ever been there? I'll tell you what, I have. I've had those conversations with God. God, really? God, your word says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Well, God, this doesn't seem like a great future, and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of hope in this. Let me tell you, if you've not had that moment, consider yourself fortunate because you're the only person in this room that that's the case. We've all been there. We've all faced it. God, I believe that I was, I believe I heard your voice when you told me to start this business. And now I'm trying to figure out how to get my stuff out of this building before they come and padlock the doors. God, I prayed. I prayed before I slipped that ring on that finger. And God, when I said, till death do us part, I meant it. And God, you told me that you had given this person to me as as my soulmate. And now they're taking vacation pictures of somebody else. Futility. So many of us live lives of of quiet desperation. And as we navigate poor choices, poor thinking, poor relationships, we allow bitterness and futility to set in. And we end up living our lives three feet short three feet short of the blessing that God has for us, three feet short of the ministry that God has for us, three feet short of the destiny that God has for us. And yes, ma'am, you're here and life is going okay for you, but God has more. Sir, I understand that the job that you're in, that it's paying the bills, but you know it's not what God's called you to. You're faithful to church. You place some money in the offering plate. But that calling that you felt and that was confirmed in Bible camp years ago, that calling has never left. And you're part of, listen, you're part of the story that God wants to write in this church. Your ministry is part of what God wants to use to fill this balcony. But the only way that that happens is this, is if we push beyond three feet short. So Gideon is there, he's threshing wheat, poor choices, poor thinking, poor relationships, has got him in Bitterness and futility. But God gets his attention. Much like he's wanting to do with you in this moment. 
And I want you to notice the two things that Gideon does. Because God doesn't change, that, that's one of the cool things about God. So if you ever wonder how to navigate a situation, here's what I love about God. Because God doesn't change, the formulas that we see in Scripture still work today. Okay? So the things that you see that happened in 1200 BC, the way that God responded in 1200 BC, God never changes. Right? He doesn't change. So, so Scripture's like this. No matter how far you go, if you return to me, isn't that, isn't that what, what God said to the prophet of Jeremiah? In Jeremiah 24? No matter how far you go, no matter how far you drift, if you return to me, I'll return to you. Jesus illustrates that incredibly in the story of the prodigal son, right? While the prodigal son, while he's still a long way off, what does the father do? The father runs to him. And God has brought you here today. He's had you tune in this morning because he wants you to re-embrace your sidetrack dream. And here's the beautiful thing, okay, is you don't have to fix it all. You don't have to fix it all. All you have to do is say, okay, God, I'll make a move towards you. And he runs to you. Notice Gideon doesn't have to fix it all. Here's what Gideon does. He does two things. Number one, he says, if you're really, if you are real the Lord, wait here and let me bring back an offering to you. Now I'm going to let you in a little secret. Are you ready? I'm not your pastor anymore. Okay. So I'm not trying to get into your pocket. But I will tell you this, I would rather have you attend church somewhere else and understand stewardship than attend here and not get it. Because here's what proper stewardship is. Proper stewardship is saying, God, you're first in every area of my life. Amen. And that's the reason why it's important as Gideon re-engages as a sidetrack dream, it's the reason it's important that the first thing that he does is he prepares an offering for, for God. He says this, he says, God, I want to make it very clear that you are the highest priority. That you are the highest priority. Now what, what God then tells him to do after this engagement he says, listen, if I'm going to be the highest priority, I want you to know that I'm not willing to be the highest priority. I've got to be the only priority. You got to go, you got to tear down that altar to Baal and, and Asherah. Amen. Right? So friends, God wants you to start this morning here in his house saying, God, you're the highest priority in my life. But, but that's, not, that's not the totality of it. You've also, you got some altars you got to tear down. You got some compromises in your life that you need to deal with. You got some issues that you need to address, even if there's a risk. And if you read, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to later today, I want you to read the story of, of, Josh, of, of, of Gideon there in Judges chapter six. Even if it means some risk to relationships. Because with Gideon, there's significant risk to relationships when he goes and he, he tears down this altar to Baal and, and Asherah. So much so that he does it in the middle of the night because he's kind of worried about it, right? I get that. That's humanity. I probably would do the same thing. I'd be fearful even when I did it. Is God first? 
Sure, sure he is, pastor. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Your time, is he first? How's your devotional life? How's your prayer time? Are you obedient when he speaks to you about witnessing to the people around you? With your talents, are your greatest talents reserved for kingdom work? And here's the one that so often we, we tend to struggle with, with your treasury. If we, were to, if we were to look at our bank balance, if we were to look at our check register, if we were to look at our credit card receipts, does God have first priority in my life? Because see that, that's where it starts. So when, when Gideon, as somebody who lives a substance living, right? He's threshing wheat in a wine press. When Gideon says, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna make a meat offering for God, Understand how big that is. Understand how massive that moment is. Understand the statement that he's making. Okay? When he kills a, a bull, that's enormous. That's, and I'm not asking you to do this, okay? You need to be obedient to what God tells you to do. But that's getting and writing a big check that just, there's no way it works in his budget. And get this, please don't, please don't allow the enemy to, to, to cause this to go sideways in your mind. It's not about getting into your pocket. It is about answering the question, is God really first in my life? Because that's in Judges chapter 6, when you see the first thing Gideon doing, preparing an offering, that's what he's doing. He's saying, okay, God, I'm reordering my world to where you're first. And our connection with God can't be when it's convenient. Amen. It's got to be a reflection of our commitment. And here's the second thing that Gideon does as he brings the offering back. It's a statement of prioritization. It's also a statement of worship. Amen. Nothing, nothing will move us towards our dream, like putting God first and then expressing genuine worship. Amen. But true worship is expressing our praise to God. Amen. Three feet short. That's how far Gideon was. Three feet short. So much so that God says, watch this. Gideon with 300 men, having nothing but water jars, pitchers, and torches. Lamps. 
Watch this, Gideon. 300 men having nothing but pitchers and lamps. You're going to witness a victory so historic that 3,000 years later, they're going to be talking about it in Orlando, Florida. Gideon, you're just three feet short. Man of God, woman of God, you're just three feet short. Mighty warrior, God has brought you here today to tell you you're just three feet short. It's time to recognize the poor choices, the poor thinking, and the poor relationships that have taken you down a road of futility and bitterness. And instead, go, God, I hear your voice. I recognize you're here in the moment. I'm going to ask the worship team to come out. And God, I... I want to make the move that last three feet. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.